Ian Gray. Now let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 14. Now I take it that we can take our masks off for the actual singing. That's my understanding. Uh, I may stand corrected by by someone, but as far as I'm aware, uh, that's what we uh, are able to do. And then put the masks back on. Psalm 40, page 259, uh, at the beginning. I waited for the Lord my God, and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice, and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay, and on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 40, and we'll stand for the singing.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the song that reminds us that your thoughts towards us as you care for us and preserve us are way beyond number. And we pray that on a day like this, when the beauty of this planet is being displayed to us in the rays of the sunshine, that we would look around and remember that this is your handwork. It is all so astonishing. And for no other reason than the fact that we are creators, like the angels of heaven, we must bow in worship and in adoration. But we come this day knowing that this is the first day of the week. This is the day on which Christ rose again from the dead. This day is a constant memorial to us, not only that you created this vast universe, but a reminder to us also that Jesus of Nazareth conquered death for all of his people. And we pray that as we come this day, we would worship all over again because you are our Redeemer. We come before you with thankful hearts this day and we think of those who have broken hearts for so many different reasons. We think of the family of the young boy killed at Loch End in the last few days. And we pray that we would stop and ponder the fact that each and every day that you give to every one of us is a blessing. And we pray that we would read the events of life as well as the Bible that you have given to us because every living day we are being reminded that our days and years in this world are limited. And ahead of us all lies a a never-ending eternity. And the destiny of men is sealed through the decisions that we make whilst we go through life's journey. Help us, O Lord, to be wise about the important matters. Help us to give the needs of our never-dying souls to you. And we pray, O Lord, that... For each and every one of uh, this congregation who are laid aside, whether through um, bodily ailment or ailment of mind or spiritual affliction, that you would help each and every one of us and that uh, the end effect of any struggles would be to usher us closer under the shadow of your wing. We thank you for family units and we pray that you'd watch over us all. We pray that we would be together on the shores of eternity because we have trusted in you as our friend and as our saviour. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let me speak for a a moment or two to the younger people. I don't know if your mums and dads have had problems with molehills in the garden this year, but this has been a bad year for moles. 
especially for the farmers. And you know the farmers shortly will be cutting their grass to make hay and silage. And the last thing you want for a mower cutting grass is for a big molehill to be there to get into the the blades and and, and, and do all the damage that molehills can do. So <clears throat> what the farmers do is um, they, well at least some of them, they get uh, they get a molar to come along to to trap the moles. And there is one such molar, and he his father was was doing it before he himself did it, and he's he's well on in years now. He's had seventy years of experience of catching moles. I don't know if you've ever looked at a mole closely, but they are beautiful little creatures. They're very destructive in the wrong place. But their beauty, their coats are just absolutely beautiful. But they're—I don't know—would you say they're black or a very dark brown? I'm not terribly sure. But something unique happened to this molar this year at a at a farm down in Daviot. He got a white mole. I think we would call them, or we would call it an albino mole. And in his 70 years of moling, he has never come across a white mole and in fact I was visiting a farmer in the Black Isle just recently and he was telling me about how he employed the moler and he says you know what happened this year he got an albino mole first one that he's he's ever come across I said yes yes I know about that mole I I know exactly where it was caught and uh, he couldn't understand how I knew that but what he told me was this that the molar has actually taken the mole home it's in this deep freeze and he's actually going to get this mole stuffed and I guess the reason he's going to do that is because it is just so unique it, in his 70 years this is the first one he's come across it is so unique you know we are here today because of a unique person and that unique person is Jesus of Nazareth this very day the Sabbath it's known as the Lord's Day he is the Lord Jesus Christ and after his resurrection from the dead this day became the day of worship for the Christian church Jesus is absolutely unique in the history of this world. He is unique because he came and he conquered death. And he came and conquered it on behalf of all those who would believe in him. And I hope that all the young people here today, and in fact everybody here today, trusts in Jesus to be their own personal friend and saviour. He is absolutely unique now let's sing again to God's praise this time it's Psalm 103 it's found on page 369 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song Psalm 103 at the beginning O thou my soul bless God the Lord and all that in me is be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless Bless, O my soul, the Lord thy God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits he hath 
bestowed on thee. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and we find it in the Acts of the Apostles and at chapter 14. The Acts of the Apostles uh, at chapter 14. And we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. 
So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen, and may God bless to us that uh, reading from his uh, word. Now let's sing again to God's praise this time. It's Psalm number 63. It's found on page 295. It's at the beginning of the song. Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be. that I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face. I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. Lord, thee, my God, I'll early seek. Lord, thee, my God, Amen. Mm-hmm. 
together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that as we turn to your word, that you would help us. Sometimes we read it and we get so confused because even as the apostle said, there are hard things in it. Hard to understand. But the reality is, as we look around this creation of yours, there are hard things in it to understand as well. It's a reminder to us that we have a limited capacity as human beings. But we come this day asking for you to be merciful to us and to come in with us and to feed us on your word and to do us good. We pray that as we seek to explore something more of the first missionary journey of the great Apostle Paul, that we would glean from your word that which would feed us in our souls and reinvigorate us and Give us guidance and direction for the challenges that we will face in the week that we have just entered into. Be with us, we pray. Guide us and keep us and bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's turn to the passage of scripture that we've been reading in in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14. And we'll read <clears throat> at the beginning of the chapter. Acts chapter 14 and verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now let's by God's enabling seek to understand a little more of this area of scripture. We are carrying on with our series on the Apostle Paul and we are on the first missionary journey and they've come to this place called Iconium. But the three headings today are going to be first of all preaching because we are told there that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But our second point is poisoning because it's found there in verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And the third thing we're going to look at is resultant persecution. It's there in verse 5. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby cities of Lyconia. So we're going to look a little bit at the preaching, we're going to look at the poisoning, the poisoning of the minds that was attempted by others, and we're going to look at the resultant uh, 
persecution. Now this place called Iconium, um, Iconium today is called Konya, but I think you probably pronounce it as Konya, I think anyway. But it's a city, if you think of modern Turkey and uh, you've got the capital city Ankara, uh, Konya is about 140-50 miles south of uh, Ankara, the capital, and it's basically, if you're looking at a map of Turkey, it's pretty much in the middle of uh, modern-day Turkey. It's got a population of about 2.2 million. It's the seventh-largest Turkish city. It's well behind uh, Constantinople. I say Constantinople because, um, well, I, I should have said Istanbul because that's the... That's the modern name of a of a Constantinople. Um, Istanbul is the largest European city, and I kind of hesitate to call it a European city, but maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that. But the reason I say that is because if you look at modern-day Turkey, very very little of it of the land mass is in is in the continent of Europe. The vast majority of Turkey is in Asia. And that little peninsula that Turkey sits on in biblical times was known as Asia Minor, simply because it's that little peninsula, the furthest western point of uh, the Asian continent. But um, Turkey is there where two, I guess, civilizations meet, because you've got the continent of Europe, and then you've got the continent of Asia. And after Constantinople fell, uh, you get the beginnings of the Ottoman Empire, and um, and that remains until World War One. And after World War One, you get a, a Turkish War of Independence, and Ataturk comes to the fore, and he's the first modern leader of. Uh, the country that we know of as, say, Turkey. Another Turk's mindset was to make Turkey a secular state. And that has progressed. But right now we've got Erdogan as the leader of Turkey. And, of course, Turkey want to, well, still wants to become part of the, the European Union. And I suppose, I suppose if you're here as a Brexiteer, you'll be saying they're better off out of it. But... Um, the Turkey's attempts to come into the European Union stalled in 2016. And uh, Erdogan seems to have reversed the secularization of Turkey so that he's on a mission of mosque building. And I spoke about um, Hagia Sophia last, last week. The, the, for a thousand years the biggest cathedral in the world a Christian centre of worship and uh, Ataturk and his followers changed it into a museum but Erdogan has reversed that very very recently it is now, it is now a mosque in the mid, middle of Istanbul and uh, Istanbul's population is I think it's about 15 and a half million far far more populated than Ankara, which only has about 
four and a half million people the, the capital of Turkey, which is similar to, I suppose, Scotland because Edinburgh is our capital, but Glasgow has a, has a bigger population. Uh, Glasgow is at least 100, maybe 120,000 uh, more people than, um, than, than Edinburgh. So our most populated city in Scotland is not our capital, it's Edinburgh, and it's the same in, in, in Turkey. Uh, Istanbul with one and a half million, but Ankara with uh, four, four, and a half, uh, four and a half million. And Konya, Konya with, uh, with 2.2 million people, but obviously nothing like these populations uh, back in the time when uh, Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journey. But I want us to notice this. They were in Antioch, Pisidia, and they got a really hard uh, time there in Antioch, Pisidia, and they actually left because uh, of the aggression that they were facing. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles for so the Lord has commanded us. When the Gentiles said this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And then we have this. And the word of God was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. It was not plain sailing. It was hard going. But they don't give up. They're driven out of one given area and they're down into another given area They've come down into a Iconium. And let's remember this. One of the things I, 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 I highlighted last week was that the writer of Mark's Gospel was part of the team. And for some reason or other, he turned back. Whether it was too hard going, I'm not terribly sure. But uh, he did. He just left it all. And it's a reminder to us of this. That even from the word go in the Christian church, it was not a bed of roses. It wasn't plain sailing. Even when they had astonishing preaching and they had astonishing results to the preaching and these apostles were able to do miracles by the enabling power of the Spirit of God, they still didn't have their sorrows to seek and they still didn't have their, their problems uh, to face. But we do read uh, there that uh, at the end of chapter 13, and the disciples were filled with joy <clears throat> and with the, with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the clue to it all. Because when we come down to verse 1 of 14, they entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and uh, Greeks believed. Now in our day and age we have so many uh, schemes and strategies and ideas to, to build a church up. Uh, we have, a, we have a, at present what they call 30 by 30, which is to plant 30 churches in, in, in our denomination by the year 2030. 
But you know the key, the key to the progress of uh, Saul and Barnabas' ministry was this: they were filled with the with the Spirit of God. In other words, they turned heavenwards and they asked the eternal God to fill them with his spirit to enable them to do what they had to do. And you know, sometimes as we look around ourselves in 21st century modern Scotland the task facing the church is almost overwhelming when we see what the fabric of our society is and how it has changed so radically even over the last 10 years it seems to almost be overwhelming but it's only overwhelming when we take our eye off whose church it is and what we're meant to be about and how we're meant to be going eh, about it. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, it's impossible. Sometimes we may look at ourselves and say, I can't really go on. And, and, and you know, that's true of every last one of us. Irrespective of what we're doing in terms of our beliefs and our Christianity every living day if we're going to try to master things in our own strength it is going to be formidable failure but the essence of the Christian message is this we turn to our God who would supply us our every need and that's true of everything in life's journey. In him we live and move and have our being. You know, I think of that poor family whose 16-year-old son was fatally injured in that road accident at Loch End. And I, and I guess it's happening day in, day out across the globe every year of life. But I do hope it makes us stop and to think. You know, I we still have our families around us. It's a, it's a huge, huge blessing, but in the rush and in the pressures of modern day living, it is so easy to just take so many things for granted. You know, we're back to singing in the church today. I don't think we, at least I never quite realized how important it is to be able to sing in a church until for a year, well more than a year, for 15 months we weren't able uh, to actually do it. And uh, did we enjoy lockdown? We certainly didn't. Did we enjoy not being able to sing? We certainly didn't. But in the pain of that experience, I think we've realized it's, it's a blessing that we simply took for granted a, a great deal of the time uh, beforehand. And so, as we go through life's journey, we reflect and uh, we are made to appreciate, hopefully, more and more what the Lord is doing for us. 
on a day-to-day basis in things that are just work-a-day and routine, but also in terms of the functioning of the church. And let's remember that the church is made up of not, not bricks and mortar. It's made up of people. Every believer is a stone in the fabric of the, the church of Christ. And how, how, how do we function in the way that we're meant to function? Well, these men function successfully because the Holy Spirit was there. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke, and uh, that's where I get the preaching from. They spoke the truth as it was in Christ, and a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed what they had to say. But it all wasn't all one-way traffic. There was, there was a, a, a response. And the response is there in terms of the poisoning of the minds. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against uh, the brothers. There's an island up on the west coast of Scotland, halfway between um, Aleppo and, and Gerloch, just beside a little village, or a li- I'm not sure if it's a village, Hamlet, by the name of Leed. And just off the shore is, is Grinyard Isle. And you know, when I was a boy, when we would be passing Grinyard Isle, we would see these big signs up uh, that uh, you weren't allowed to go anywhere near the island. And uh, the reason that you weren't allowed to go anywhere near the island is it was poisoned with anthrax, which is a deadly substance. And that all came as a result of uh, British intelligence uh, during World War II. British intelligence discovered that things were going on, uh, seeking to create biological warfare weapons in other countries, and the response of the British government was to, um, to do something of their own. And what they needed was they needed an island somewhere and I guess because the north of Scotland is remote and less populated than other areas, they chose Grinyard Isle and they contaminated it. They contaminated it with, uh, with anthrax. But uh, you weren't allowed to go anywhere near the island. But a few years ago, I think, maybe around the 90s, I can't remember exactly, um, can't remember, but uh, they decontaminated it now I know there are some scientists who are still very cagey about this idea that it has been completely decontaminated and that's because there's evidence in America of anthrax spores having lived for hundreds of years in the ground but um, the reason I knew a good bit about it was they, they, used, um, they used some of my father's sheep to put onto the island after it was decontaminated um, to, 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 to make sure that the experiment uh, had actually worked. And you know, 
Many, many years later, I was visiting somebody in the Black Isle whose father had been a vet way back in decades ago and had come to um, check out dead animals on the mainland up in that area of the world. And I got a phone call one day to go along to see what had been classified secret documents but the, it, they had time lapsed I think it was maybe 50 years you know they're, they're classified for 50 years and then they become declassified and she was going to put these uh, documents into the archives over in Inverness and uh, I think she thought and her father also thought these animals have died because birds have taken anthrax from Greenyard Isle on to the mainland but I was reading the government document and uh, they were trying to make out that it was a Greek ship that was going through the minch that was causing these animals on the mainland to, to die and I was just thinking oh man, there's no way even a layman like myself could tell that that's, that's un- highly unlikely but it, it, it just reminded me of this the power of governments to just to cover things up and, and, and to get away from, from, the, from, the, from the realities of, of, of what's going on. It, it just wasn't going to suit them to have animals dying uh, on, on, uh, on, on the mainland. But at any rate, I'm kind of going off at a, of a, a, a tangent. Um, poisoning by anthrax would kill us. Our bodies would cease to function. But that's not the kind of poisoning that's being referenced here. It's a different kind of poisoning. It is poisoning of the mind. That's what's happening. Now we're not given details of how they went about it or, or what happened. But you know, one of the ways that you can poison somebody in their minds is that they're bringing any given message is to character assassinate. Just to say things about them that would cause others to think, well, we're not going to listen to them. And it may well have been character assassination against Paul and Barnabas that was, that was used uh, on this occasion. It's much more likely to have been along these lines because I'm just going to suggest because we notice that there were Jewish people whose minds were poisoned and there were also Greek people whose minds were poisoned. Now let's remember this. The Jews were God's covenant people. They were the ones who were given the law. They were the ones who were given the Old Testament. And many of them had this superiority attitude to them. And their idea was this. We're a cut above. We're special. They were special. There's no, there's no getting away. It was a huge privilege that they had bestowed upon them. It didn't come without its responsibilities. But it was still a huge uh, privilege that they had bestowed upon, uh, upon them. But they had this idea that they could do it. That they were superior and they could do it. And they could keep the law of Moses. And that, that's what would save them. Now there's one thing for sure. The preaching of Paul and Barnabas turned that whole thing on its head. 
and maybe it's this idea that they used to poison the minds of these fellow Jews they're anti-mosaic they're anti-our history they're anti-us and of course that kind of propaganda can work and it can poison people's minds but with the Greeks I guess it would have been different because you know the Greeks were into their philosophy you know you talk about your um, Socrates and your Plato and your Aristotle and they were very much into they were wise wise people the wisdom of the Greeks but let's remember this that the word of God differentiates wisdom into the wisdom that is of this world and the wisdom that is of God and they are very 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 different wisdoms you remember that on one occasion these people were told about the resurrection from the dead and it was just way beyond what they were willing to accept these wise people took the wisdom of God and they jettisoned it and they threw it overboard but it may well have been that uh, these Greek minds were poisoned because they were deemed to be unrefined not sophisticated not wise in terms of of uh, this world and you know it's not just 2,000 years ago that minds can be poisoned against the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth let's remember this that minds can equally be poisoned uh, today and um, whatever you do in life's journey think through the big issues you know you look at this creation and you think well where did it come from you know people today tell us that this business of God it's a nonsense it's been disproven it's, it's simply not the case it's well, well if it's not the case what is it you know you only have two options if you jettison God you either have this whole universe just appearing out of nothing absolutely nothing or you have an eternal mass that somehow or other develops into the system and the laws that we have around us day in day out every living day of the year we have to think through these things and uh, especially for people that are going off to universities and whatnot, where you'll get all kinds of views uh, uh, thrown at you remember what the word of God says remember that he has spoken clearly to us and remember that his wisdom is salvation by grace that's his wisdom and may we not may we not miss out on it but the third thing I want to say a little bit about is uh, the persecution and it's there in uh, verse uh, 5 the people of the city were divided some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers 
to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia. Stoning was a formidable way to be put to death. There are much, much easier and more efficient ways of executing people nowadays. And there were much more uh, efficient ways of executing people in those days. The ultimate cruelty, if you like, in Roman times was to hang a person. And I know that the crucifixion of Jesus was over in a relatively short period of time. But there are reasons for that. But it was quite common for people to hang on crosses for days. And it was meant to be like that. Because it was for people who had committed heinous crimes. And it was meant to show the nation. You just don't do this. There was a retribution. And it was to prevent other people from doing similar things. So, so, but even pre-Roman times, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. It was a, it was a drawn-out, painful way of dying. Stoning may not have been quite as drawn out, but it was a very painful uh, way of, uh, of dying. And that's what's happening, or that's what they're threatening to do uh, to these uh, to these people. Why? Because they're coming with the message of God, and there is an aversion to it, an absolute aversion to it. And you know that aversion hasn't gone away; it's still with us to this. Um, very day. This inbuilt aversion to, uh, to 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 the to the teachings of of Jesus. And for some of you, I sent uh, in recent times a uh, um, uh, a text from this Citizen Go that um, tells us of a of a Finnish parliamentarian. Sadly, in today's culture, it is an ever-growing trend for those not following the status quo to face persecution and, in some cases, imprisonment. The latest recipient of this kind of persecution is Finnish parliamentarian. Now, I've probably got this all wrong how to pronounce her name, Pevi Rasanen, who is facing jail for posting a Bible verse on her personal Twitter account. Simply because Rasanen expressed her sincerely held beliefs publicly, the police launched an investigation and subjected her to a four-hour interview. Rasanen now faces a maximum penalty of two years imprisonment for the crime of so-called ethnic agitation. It all began in June 2019 when the Church Board of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Finland announced its official partnership with the LGBT event Pride 2019. Razanen questioned our church's leadership on this decision on social media attaching an image of a Bible passage. 
The prosecution has also dug up a secondary charge which find faults with a pamphlet she wrote. Despite facing jail and ongoing persecution, Rasanan has shown indomitable strength. I cannot accept that voicing my religious beliefs could mean imprisonment. I do not consider myself guilty or threatening, slandering or insulting anyone. My statements were all based on the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality, she said. I will defend my right to confess my faith so that no one else would be deprived of the right to freedom of religion and speech. I hold on to the view that my expressions are legal and they should not be censored. I will not back down from my views. I will not be intimidated into hiding my faith. The more Christians keep silent on controversial themes, the narrower the space for freedom of speech gets. And what I sent to many of you was an opportunity to sign a petition in support of uh, this, uh, this person. It does seem that in the modern world that we live in, you can have whatever belief you want on any given subject except the teachings of the Bible. That is taboo. That's out the door. And that is what you call a persecution. It is, it is not nice for people in this day and age because of the woke world we live in to have a threat of losing their homes, their jobs, their income, their reputation because they don't bend the way the wind is blowing. Let's not think that because we live in 21st century Scotland there isn't such a thing as a persecution. There most certainly is. And I spoke recently in a sermon about a pastor down near Heathrow in London, a 70-year-old man who was arrested in a not nice fashion either. The police should really have the, the decency to be, to be decent when they're dealing with, with people. And he wasn't dealt with in a, in, a, in a wholesome way, although I have great sympathy for the police forces in general because they're as confused as we are about how you define some of the modern laws, that, uh, and especially those about people being offended. Um, but I did think uh, that uh, it was all over for this particular pastor. It's not. It's still with the prosecution service. He could still find himself in serious trouble for just preaching the word of God on, on the streets of, uh, of London. It's not a nice world we live in. It wasn't a nice world 2,000 years ago. There will always be this aversion to the wisdom that is godly. And the wisdom that is godly is basically this. A God who comes to us in all our woeful wantonness and sinfulness and says to us, I've done something about your plight. And on the basis of sheer gift, I can forgive you your every last sin. I cannot understand what's offensive about that. Except for this. Man in his pride doesn't like to admit that he's empty and hopelessly sinful. 
But the moment you put your hands up and acknowledge that and flee to the Saviour, you're securing him for time and for eternity. That is the beauty and that is the glory of the gospel. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 23. It's found on page um, 229 of the Psalter. Psalm 23, we'll sing the whole song to God's praise. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want him.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and for